We believe to ride and run is freedom and empowerment. We believe riding and running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people were physically active, the world would be a better place. We believe in physical activity because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Ride and Run Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. From the capital of the South, this is the Big Peach Ride and Run Podcast. For those of you who are tuning in Facebook Live, good evening to you for sure. This is going to be a lot of fun. We'll hope you'll join us. You're going to want to keep this email address handy, podcast at bigpeachrunningco.com. That'll allow you to connect with D2 or me as we go, and you'll have the chance to connect with our featured conversation, our special guest, and something we've been looking forward to for a long time, the CEO, Brooke Sports, a good friend of us and the industry, Running With Purpose. He is the author of this new blockbuster, Jim Weber. Good evening to you, and thanks for joining us. Hey, good evening, Mike and, and D2. It's great to be with you guys tonight. And and I haven't been in Atlanta for a while, but I feel like I'm there tonight. It's, this is going to be fun. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, and it's also, I don't know, heck, we couldn't have rehearsed this any better, Jim, because I was going to use that as a launching pad for this conversation because I don't know when you were last in Atlanta, but I do know when I last saw you in Atlanta, it was a special time for our city. It was a special time for the sport we all love and embrace. And that was in 2020 at the Olympic marathon trials. You of course were here, you were here with your team. You were here with all kinds of fans of Brooks and the products and the lifestyle that you guys do so well. And yet it wasn't just your time in Atlanta that is special to the book that we're going to talk about and learn more about you. It was also your return trip back to Seattle. So first Tell us a little bit what you might remember about the Olympic marathon trials. I love asking that question. It's a bit of a self and selfish indulgence, but what can you recall about that special time for the city of Atlanta? Oh, Mike, it was fabulous because it was the it was the last business trip I took that week mm. um, before the pandemic, and we could all write a book on the last two years. It's been it's been adventurous and disruptive and a lot of other things. But oh my gosh, you know what is this is the celebration of the sport every four years, right? It's just so fun and inspiring and cool. And, and these athletes are obviously, you know, building their whole lives for the trials. And so we were all there. It's a gathering of the sport. It's a gathering of the industry. And yeah, Brooks um, brings our game. You know, we, we set up a, our Hyperion house and we had, we yep. gathered, you know, lots of people in the sport and lots of people in the industry, some of the best retailers from all around the country in your hometown, Atlanta. And uh, we just had a fabulous week. And, and I do remember how cold it was. The wind yes. was insane. The wind was insane, but uh, just, a, just a great day of, of racing. And, and of course, then I think you know, the Olympics obviously were delayed. But yeah, I, it was so interesting because I had been, uh, I had a dialogue going with Warren Buffett. We're part of Berkshire Hathaway. Warren Buffett is, of course, the chairman of Berkshire Hathaway. And, uh, and it was a broad-based dialogue, and we hadn't connected for a while. So he said, why don't you come by? We'll have breakfast. So I went from Atlanta Saturday night. Uh, I got on a plane to Omaha. And uh, Sunday morning, uh, I started the day with uh, a, just a great catch-up with Warren on all things Brooks and running and leadership, frankly. I had a lot of topics I wanted to talk to him about. And then flew back to Seattle. So uh, boy, I remember that week well. It was it was it was super fun to be in Atlanta. What a great running town! Well, I love the fact that you say it was super fun because you guys brought that ingredient that has really been laced through your time at Brooks. When we think about run happy, and I'm going to ask you a little bit about that later on. We have a core value at Big Peach. We take fun seriously, and that was one of those weekends where obviously the athletes were very committed to doing the best they could. And then all of us who just love the sport, love their effort, love the energy in the city, we were busy having fun. And Brooks certainly typified that from the moment you got to town until the moment you headed to Omaha. So then you're in Omaha and, 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 and Mr. Buffett gives you the encouragement to stay after it in terms of your idea and desire to write a book. But that idea and desire doesn't equate to the finished product. And again, for those of you just tuning in, Running With Purpose, a brand new book by Jim Weber, the CEO of Brooks Sports. So Jim, take us to then the hard part 
of committing yourself alongside everything you were already doing and all of the momentum you wanted to ensure would continue to be the case for Brooks. How do you power through what's required to write a book? Well, I think, you know, I've been thinking about it for a while. I took uh, four weeks off in, I think, 2015, and I had to unpack my hard wiring, right? I've been, I, I often joke, I've been in a midlife crisis for 20 years. I'm in my, <laughs> and, and, but I was hardwired in a lot of ways. So I actually wrote four hours every morning for a month on that little four week thing. And, and I got to age 31 and I just set it aside. I, you know, and, and cause I was just sort of for, I have three boys, older boys, and, and I might share it with them someday. And then the Brooks story, I, I, you know, I'm just so proud of, of, of this team here. I, I love my job. I feel so fortunate to be in this industry. Work hard, play hard. You run and you celebrate. And it's, you know, you, we all know the power of running and the community and everything else. I just feel so fortunate. And, you know, we've been trying to navigate a turnaround and building a brand and, and competing uh, in, in, a, in a sport and a category that has so many great brands and products and choices, right? So we've been navigating that and, and we've We've had some success, and I'm very proud of that. And we have—I've spoken at business schools and industry conferences and the like. But I've been thinking about a book because I just think it's a—it's a great story. And if you're not in our industry, nobody knows about it because we—we spend all of our pennies against talking to runners. So I met with Warren, and and we just had an update on on topics, as I mentioned, and a Brooks update. And we were finishing the breakfast, and 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 he just said, Jim Brooks is. Brooks is just a great story. You should write a book. And and I had never mentioned it to him before, but that was all I needed. And uh, and then I just said, I got to write this. I just got to do it. And it took me about a year. I started, so I probably, I, I started kind of in March, April, getting to work on it. And, uh, and I thought I'm going to knock this thing out in six, eight months. It took a year. It, it took a long time. Well, there's no doubt you poured yourself into it, and you mentioned that it's a great story. Obviously, Warren Buffett feels that way. Berkshire Hathaway feels that way. We'll touch in on maybe some of the naysayers at the onset of what Brooks was capable of when that cozy relationship commenced, but as a driving factor about what a great story it is. Here is the subtitle for those of you who did not see it on the screen, How Brooks Outpaced Goliath competitors to lead the pack. Who are those Goliath competitors? You're right. They're those global sporting goods brands who are coming to mind right now. Before we touch on those at all, Jim, here's the part that what I was so, so appreciative to you personally for. As I read this book, you not only poured your energy into this, you put yourself, your story, mm-hmm. even your vulnerability, some moments that I have to believe, if not were uncomfortable to recall, might have been uncomfortable to at least document. How did you come to conclude that that also was part of what was worth telling? Because alongside the great story that is Brooks right now, that is what Warren Buffett encouraged you to tell the world, you did the generous act of giving us a bit of yourself as well. How did you? come to conclude that would be the right thing. It's interesting, Mike, because, you know, I wasn't planning to put a lot of my journey in there. And of course, my fingerprints are, are on, on this company and the brand. And I've been here 21 years and I love it. And we built, we built, we're building a culture. So I'm right in the middle of that. And, and so, yeah, my story is part of that, but I was encouraged by people that I talked to. I didn't want to write a book and have it just be a doorstop. (laughs) I, you know, I really, I really didn't have to write a book um, to say, check the box. I, you know, that actually doesn't mean anything to me. If I'm going to do this, I want people to have takeaway value in it. I really mean that. And, and I've just, I've grown up that way. And you go to a conference or take a class or whatever, you, that your time is so valuable, valuable, you have to get value out of it. So that was really important to me. And the advice I got from a lot of smart people that are in the book biz was that Jim? You got to share. You know, you got to be vulnerable. If if not, you know, it's just another business book. You know, with the list of blah blah blah. And I I did not want to do that. I think the best mm. books are stories. I learned from stories. Brooks is a story, but people people just uh, encourage me. In fact, Warren did too. I said, Warren, this book's going to be about Brooks. I'm so excited to talk about it. And he, and he actually said the same thing. He said, Jim, you got to put yourself into this thing. 
you know, that, that's, that's a big part of the story. And, and so I got that advice from a lot of people. And the other thing, Mike, is that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sort of uh, on the outside what I am on the inside. It's too stressful and makes me anxious to keep, you know, a mask on. So, you know, I, I don't hide much. I just, and I don't offer it up, you know, you know, casually, but, you know, if there's something that people can learn from it, I'm more than happy to share what, what my journey has been. Cause I, you know, life's a journey. And, and I think we're all creatures of our experiences and, and what we've been through companies are too. Brooks certainly is. So for all those reasons, um, Everything I know is in the book. Here we go. Well, and and for those of you who are like, man, I just connect with transparent leaders. You've got to get this. Whether or not you're going to be able to immediately recognize how your role currently equates to what Jim is doing currently, what you'll be able to connect with immediately is what Jim puts out so beautifully, so transparently through the growth, through the growth of his career, through the growth of this company, through the growth of his family and other things that are important, including his own running routine. And we're going to get into that as well, Jim. But before we we do, let's talk a little bit about now about that growth trajectory. And I look at 2008 and I'm going to use that because it was fun to see that in the book. 2008 was actually when Big Peach Running Company opened its fourth store. I remember that was the only year we ever opened two stores in the same year. So 2008 was a little bit of a bellwether for us as well. And at the time, ASICS was by far our number one brand. For those who have not heard this before, for those of you who do not look at market share statistics like D2, Jim and I do, Brooks is our number one brand, both in terms of unit and dollar sales in our number one category, which is the footwear category. In 2008, that wasn't the case, but you guys started to take some real steps towards that achievement in 2008. For all of us who want to be better leaders and want to see our business grow, what were some of the things that you initiated and moved ahead in 2008 that became part of this great story? Yeah, I think here, here's the, the genesis of it all. The athletic footwear and apparel category is huge. And it's broad-based, family footwear, casual lifestyle, athleisure, um, big brands, court shoes, basketball shoes, good, better, best pricing. It's huge. And we were struggling to compete in that. So here's, here's been, I think, the North Star for Brooks from the very beginning is we didn't have the visible technology in the 2000s, whether it was air or shocks or gels or all that. So we went for fit, feel, and ride, runability. And we were going after frequent runners that were discerning about shoes. And we were going to try to earn the second sale. That you had such a good experience at mile 20 that you know, you kind of know if you'll ever buy this shoe again. So that's the original essence that led to the adrenaline. And in 2009, the Ghost 3, finally we dialed it in. And it was just a well-balanced shoe that, that you know, everyday trainers are... There's a lot of good shoes out there. Making a great shoe is actually hard. And so so then in 2008, oh gosh, Mike, those were crazy times. People remember the Great Recession and the craziness in, in, in the economy and the housing crisis that was global. And then the barefoot phenomenon. And, you know, Born to Run, what an incredible, inspiring book. But, you know, are cushion shoes bad for you and the reason people get injured? And the truth was there was no, you know, clinical research at all on barefoot or shoes or whatever. And that, that's where we began to invest for five years against run signature. People are different, natural habitual joint motion. But in 2009, it was really, really interesting, Mike, because when that recession hit, everybody just froze. You know, I mean, people were, if they had a backyard, they were going to bury their money in the backyard. And, uh, but what we saw is running kept growing. We would triple our business between 2008 and 2014, three times. And, and because what we did was we just said, look, we think people are going to keep running. And then we saw it start to happen and shoes were selling. So we took our profits in half. We, we, we partnered with uh, two of the leading biomechanical research scientists in the world and started on that clinical research project. And then we made the biggest investment at that time we'd ever made. And we sponsored the Rock and Roll Marathon Series as a start, you know, they had 20 some events and a half a million runners and 40% of the runners in that race were, had never run a race before. So we thought, okay, that's a place to introduce our brand. We felt we had a ticket to the game in run. 
And we just felt like we had to step up and and kind of play and get into the front of the pack, right? Get into the front of the lead pack. And uh, and those are the kind of bets in these crazy disruptive times um, that we've been able to make, I think. And they take courage, but we were we were following runners and and the and the sport. And so we 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 did it with confidence, and and we we were pretty confident it would work. But it looked bold at the time because everybody was hunkering down. Well, and when everybody hunkered down, and I think there's a lesson there for us where, especially now when we're still in an era of uncertainty, that if we have the confidence that, and you detail this in the book, Jim, that you had not just in the brand and in the industry, but you had so much confidence in your team. Mm-hmm. And some of the people that you leaned into, you reference a lot of your team members, many of them who I know personally. I loved that willingness of you to share not just the Brooks story, but also the Brooks success with them through this book. What I'm going to do is quickly read the Brooks brand values. You've already used the term culture, and I, I've seen it. I'm not saying anything to you to try to kiss up for the fact that you're willing to have this time with us. I've told this to our representatives locally. I've mentioned this to Rick Wilhelm on multiple occasions. There is nobody who better supports our business through and through right now, and that has been the case for years than what Brooks Sports does. So that is not for Jim. That is not for this podcast. That is just the absolute truth. Here are the brand values at Brooks. And I'm going to give them to the audience, all five. I'm not going to suggest that you can comment on each of them, but I would love, 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 Jim, for you just to comment on how these values impact the culture at Brooks. Runner first. Word is bond. Champion heart. I love this because to me, we see too many images of somebody out in a beautiful location all by themselves as if they have no job, no family, no responsibilities, but there's no I in run. It absolutely has been driven, in my opinion, through a lot of what has become very, very, very social and is part of run happy at Brooks. And then lastly, but certainly not leastly, keep moving. Jim, what do those core values and those Brooks brand values mean to you and your team? Yeah, I, you know... It's, I love this topic. Culture is an interesting thing. It's, it's so powerful. Um, and, and it can be an advantage for your team and your business, right? We all know that. But what is, how do you point to it? And so I believe that culture is values in action. It's, it's the behaviors that are consistent with those values. So, so those values that you just articulated, Mike, Underneath that are all these things that, that we talk about and can identify as behaviors. So, you know, word is bond is do what you say you're going to do. You know, we this, this is running is I think our culture does map to a bit with our sport. And because you the, the, the clock is the clock, you know, and run. There's there's no BS. Right. You, you know, kind of where you stand. And so in, in all of our interactions with each other and certainly with customers, if we say we're going to do it, we have to do it. And so you, your actions need to match your words, especially as we work with each other. So that's just one example, just a small example. I think the runner first one is to this day our biggest advantage because it's everybody wakes up here and all we think about is running and runners. And, and it, there's, so there's no distractions to our focus on trying to make the best gear and, and engage and connect and you know celebrate um, our athletes in the sport and everybody that runs. So, you know, that's, that's a huge part of, of who we are. The no I and run, oh my gosh, business is a team sport. And, you know, we're only as good as we are, as each other. There's, you know, and I, you know, that glass half full side of a, a business or a team is that there's so many ways to fail, Mike. I mean, I think, I think to be successful, because there's so many good products and good companies and good brands and good retailers and everything else, you have to be really good. You have to execute at a high level on everything. And so I've always viewed it that way. And so we really try to engage everybody on our team on focus on the customer. That's what we're in business for. And and we want to do it in a Brooks way with performance products and engage and celebrate successes and have fun along the way. Run, you know, run happy is really about celebrating everybody's run, whether you're trying to make the Olympic team or it's your first run around the block. So all those values do ladder, um, ladder into behaviors 
But at our best, you know, we, we talk about this a lot and we measure it in our cultural surveys. At our best, these are the behaviors that, you know, that, that are reflected today because, you know, what's interesting about culture and brands, what is it? How can you put your head on it? And I think, or your finger on it, I think with a brand, it's in the mind of the customer. It's not a logo. It's not an asset on your financial statements. The brand today is in the mind of the customer and how they feel about it. Same with the culture. You know, the culture of Brooks today, if you talk to an employee, is how they, how they feel today about working here and work, interacting with their teammates and, and uh, you know, how they feel about the company and the brand. So, yeah, that we, we work on it every day. So those values are foundational. Um, and they really, you know, ladder into all these behaviors that we're trying to reinforce. Super powerful. And the reason that's so key is, you know, we've been fortunate to grow as well. We hired 300 new people last year. And wow. so, you know, they don't know us, right? They don't know the culture. They don't know Brooks. So, so you know, making get, getting these conversations going and what do those values really mean is something we spend quite a bit of time on. Man, for those of you who are developing leaders, mentoring others involved in organizational development, go back and listen to that again. That was a masterclass, Jim, in a small amount of time on developing culture. For me, I'm just kind of leaning in because, of course, that's what we want to do in our business as well. And at the same time, I know that wasn't always the perception by your friends and business colleagues in Omaha. You became part of the Berkshire family a little bit by happenstance. I don't know if that's the right term. Warren would probably say it absolutely wasn't, but you were part of Fruit of the Loom and, and Russell. And when I was at the Coca-Cola company, there was a time when we were thinking about the Quaker purchase and the big keystone of that portfolio was Gatorade. And we were like, well, my goodness, what do you do with the cereals and all these other things that you have to take with it? They were kind of those, you know, as they say, redheaded stepchildren that nobody really wanted to touch. And I don't know if it was quite that dramatic, but at the same time, the focus was not on Brooks when the Berkshire Hathaway acquisition was commenced. And yet at the same time, that has changed. You're now a standalone operation as part of the Berkshire Hathaway portfolio. You now have the influence where at the board of directors and shareholders meeting in Omaha every year, there is a 5K and I would imagine Brooks has as much presence as any of the brands that are on full display during that occasion. How do you go from taking this status as just an attachment to a bigger acquisition to being truly one of the lead horses in the portfolio at Berkshire Hathaway? What does that transition look like? Yeah, so first, Berkshire Hathaway is such a unique company. I, it's hard to describe, but at the annual meeting in Omaha, 20 or 30,000 people. We have a booth. We have an invest in yourself 5K on Sunday morning. We definitely punch above our weight there, and it's just fun. <laughs> yeah, so, so the journey is, you know, here's the key. When I came to Brooks, Brooks was actually the fourth company I would be president of, and I decided I want to play the long game. I didn't want to be here for three years and then leave and go do something else. I wanted to be part of a team and build a brand. So it's very deliberate that we played through four owners our fourth being Berkshire Hathaway, and and they'll never sell us, and so we're 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 permanent hold. So we've always we've been focused on building a brand that's also a good business, but we want to build a brand in running that's meaningful and 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 sustainable, and uh, and hopefully brings something um, brings great gear and, and and good energy into our sport and our industry. We're now in the 21st year of that focus, and so wow. you know in the early days. You know, there was we were private equity owned and the word was, oh, Brooks is, is going to get sold. And Jim Weber's here just to pretty the company up and sell it. And I'd seen that movie before and, and I was going to play through. I, I, and I, I made the made the chat with our team and said, look, companies with issues get sold. Companies with opportunities attract investors. And so that's what we've done. And now, you know, I'm I'm super proud almost serendipity how we ended up at Berkshire, you know, you just, you can't control it, but what a great outcome for us because um, he's a believer in brands and, and financial results come out of brand strength. And, and so we've got a mandate to continue to build and nurture this brand with runners. And so we feel super fortunate, Mike, but yeah, it's uh, it's a great home for Brooks. It's a very unique company. 
but we're we're accountable and and uh, you know uh, responsible for the development of the whole business, and we love that. It's fun. Well, and obviously there is a mutual appreciation. If we talk specifically about Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger, Warren wrote the foreword to your yeah. book. You already mentioned that Sunday morning breakfast on your way home from Atlanta. And yet he asked a question early on, Jim, that I think still to this day deserves uh, an answer that more people hear. How do you beat Nike or Adidas or those brands that everybody who was a Berkshire shareholder had heard of when they had never heard at that time of Brooks or perhaps what their share of Berkshire Hathaway was getting them into? What is how do you, how do you take on those behemoths? I love that question, Mike, because I have the answer and I have real. Oh, I love it. Here's the answer. You don't, you know, I, there's, there's another brand in the athletic space that once called another big brand, his dumbest competitor. And two years later, he was focused on his, he was focused on other brands that were competing in the space. And, and here's what I truly believe. Who's in the customer is in charge. It's a cliche, but it is true. You know, we're trying to be Brooks and there's so many good brands. There's so many good products, but the, the runner's in charge. It's really true, Mike. And, and obviously, you know, the best retailers have a lot of influence around that. I think the best product wins. Ultimately, I really do. I think we have a very smart customer. We have very smart retail partners. And this, this is a product battle for sure. But the customer is the arbiter. They're 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 you know they're going to decide who wins. So you know yeah we we all compete, but it's it's an interesting um, sport if you will the business side of things, because you don't you don't win or lose to the the brand on your right or your left. You win or lose with the customer, and so we've had that frame from the beginning. And you know and that's why I I think it's so important to understand the choices that your customers have from all the other brands. But I think the riskiest thing you can do as a company, as a brand, especially when Brooks was young in this turnaround mode, is to look like your competitors because mm. they're probably stronger. So you, you need to be distinctive. What's your, you know, what's your value proposition? What do you offer? Why Brooks? Why is it different? We constantly are asking that question because you know, I, I think the runners have, runners have all these choices. What's distinctive about our products and our, our brand uh, as they as they get to know us a little bit? So, yeah, I you know what I what in the answer though what what we were what we were having success with with customers, I'll, I'll just say it: it's fit, feel, and ride. It's mile mm. twenty. I mean, I you know we are so maniacal about fit, feel, and ride from from year to year as we innovate and, and bring modern more modern materials in or design. You know, mile 20, man, what, what is that sh shoe doing? And it's the same with run bras. Millimeters matter in support and fit and comfort in, in gear, right? It, that's, so we're, we, we started with an equipment focus on this and, and for that frequent runner. And I think that's, that's why we're having success. It's not an accident. I, I often uh, talk about our success. We started at about $60 million in revenue in 2001. Almost half of that was $30 family footwear shoes, which we got rid of. And we've grown our performance products business. This year will be about $1.3 So we're just super proud of that because it's all premium performance products at full price. Um, that's all we do. And, and, and I, 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 I believe we've earned it. We've earned it a pair of feet at a time. <laughs> Um, and that's that's how we built the brand. So, yeah, I, I think in business, if you if you see yourself just competing with another player, um, you're you're at risk from actually losing focus on the customer. Well, and, and I love that. And I could dive into the, the business and the metrics and, you know, maybe we would right here on air do a Jim Roy on how we're doing with a particular model or across the entire portfolio. We'll spare our audience that. But it was interesting. And I'm going to use this as a setup, Jim. So I had a revelation while I was reading your book because I read in the book after I'd already read the foreword about the question that, you know, of course, you heard directly from Warren that a lot of the shareholders had, whether to you directly or to him, or perhaps just in their own mind, how do you beat those, those other brands? But then when I went back to prepare for this conversation, I read the foreword again, and here's what it, here's what it says that I think is a reflection 
of Warren now being able to answer that question himself. And it says this, Jim loves running, loves runners, loves his associates, and loves his retailers. Daily, he demonstrates that affection in his decision making. To me, that is at least part of the answer why Brooks has been so successful. And I know that love for runners and for those who are running and associates and for those of us who are retailers, that extends all the way through your organization from what we've seen. And now I think it's, it's part of that distinguishing, so darn critical, special recipe that, that you have. But a part that you didn't mention that I want to tap into and why I wanted to use that as a setup, I think Run Happy is brilliant. And Run Happy seems to have had some staying power because it's one of the campaigns I remember being part of when we opened and is still around to this day. Tell us about Run Happy and the attachment that that tagline and all that it stands for has not just to your brand portfolio, but also to the success that you're enjoying. Absolutely. And, and it preceded me. Run Happy was created maybe a year or two before I joined Brooks. And, and the insight, I think, to this day was brilliant because the soul of running is our sport, right? You know, and it's been around forever, you know, track and field, cross country, marathoning, road racing, ultra, et cetera. It, it, that's the soul of it, competitive racing. But it's so much more than that. It's an investment in yourself. It's health and wellness and fitness and mental clarity and and uh, just staying active and, and connecting. And all, it, running has got so many positive things to it. And Run Happy identified that, that it was, it, it was really celebrating you and your run. It wasn't, hey, you know, who's winning the race? Who's breaking the tape? Who's on the podium? You know, it wasn't about them. It was about you and your run. We're really, Run Happy just really celebrates your run. And so that was a great insight. And we kind of were, were calm about it in the early years because our product needed to come up a notch or two in performance, the consistency, the quality. You know, we just didn't have performance dialed in those years. So once we got the product dialed, you know, we bolted these two things together and it, you know, performance product plus this run happy celebrating your run is a unique position. It, it really is. And for a challenger brand, which you know, we are in, in a big, big industry, gosh, athletic, outdoor, fitness, huge brands, huge global industry. You know, we are really playing in a, in a narrow space with focus. And, uh, and, and we think, you know, a unique positioning uh, that really addresses kind of everybody who runs is, is our goal, right? Everybody who runs is, is who we're gonna try to connect with and cheer on. So yeah. It's really unique. I think the insight now, 20 some years old, uh, really reflects though the, the, the breadth of our sport because it's, it's huge. It's not like any other sport out there where it becomes a, a personal pursuit um, beyond competition for so many people. Well, and, and I love the way that you've brought it to life. Obviously, great strategy requires, you know, hyper intensive and very intentional execution. It requires tactics that, that come to life, whether it is, I mean, I remember when we did a grand opening for one of our stores, our local rep, who we just think the world of, had a, I don't know if it was a snow cone, snow cone or cotton candy truck out there. Everybody else is bringing demo pairs and stuff that, of course, has its role. But to be able to come back for a run and have somebody hand you some cotton candy, it's just, you know, the epitome of why we run happy, you know, and, and things that allow us to get our beer open a little bit more efficiently or be with a friend at the end of a run, even if we finished five minutes before them, but we get a chance to celebrate the accomplishment together. It's it's awesome. Jim, obviously, it would be easy for me to say and, and had a little bit of a heads up that it's like, gosh, we're just going to we're going to talk about it all. The other thing that I can remember with some, some clarity is back in, I believe 2018 when you were changing warehouses. And this is another thing that if I just say, Hey, listen, from you to me, from me to you about this book, thank you for being so willing to step into something that it would have been just as easy to take a detour around. And you opened this warehouse that for us initially seemed like, man, what an awesome benefit for our number one brand, because we were getting all of our shoes, all of our apparel from Brooks from the state of Washington. Mm -hmm. Whether you're listening to this in the state of Georgia or not, you don't need to get out your map to know the state of Georgia is not all that close to the state of Washington. So it would take longer or Brooks would subsidize the shipping costs so we could get it 
a little bit more quickly. We heard they're going to open up a distribution center in the state of Indiana. It literally cut the shipping distance down by 2,000 miles for Big Peach. And we were cheering in the stock rooms when that would happen. Six months later, we were shaking our head because it did not go as planned. And that number one status all of a sudden seemed like it might be at risk. I said in a note that I already sent to you privately, I wondered if friends of mine like you and others would even escape with their job, let alone maybe their career intact. But then you just were willing to lay it all out there on the pages of running with purpose. Give us what we can learn, not maybe from the specific challenge you had with opening a new distribution center, but how you had to guide your team through not just those difficult days, but quite frankly, the ability to take a lesson from it and be better for it. Yeah, Mike, it it was a big one, you know, and and the hardest part about it, it was self-inflicted. You know, we've all now faced disruptions in the economy and, and with COVID coming through our communities. You know, we've all we've all faced a lot of disruption, but this one we created for ourselves. We moved the distribution center over one weekend. We turned the the center off in Seattle. We turned the new one on in Indiana, and it didn't work. It didn't work in a big way. We were supposed to ship forty thousand units a day, um, and and we had planned it for two years. Cross functional team, two hundred tests, stress tests, systems, equipment, people, training. Um, everything was new, um, and but ev- we had professionals and consultants, and they'd worked so hard. Everything was green lights. So you know, we turn it on, and instead of forty thousand units, we couldn't get four thousand a day out, and that would go on for three to six months. So you know, the key thing: we're a customer service company. Um, we it it comes from our days when our product wasn't that great, and we really had to relationship our way into you know getting sales but we've tried not to lose that and so people depend on us to ship the shoes on time and complete and you need the sizes and the color you know that's the business it's inventory driven and you've got to be able to service and we had completely disrupted that for three months and i think what i saw and it happens i mean it it shouldn't have i it was a nightmare we'd seen happen in the industry before and we were never going to have that nightmare Wow, Mm. did we? And here's what I learned. And that's why, you know, I stepped up because everybody was pointing figures. It was the consultant. It was the people. It was the systems. You know, four weeks in, it was it was so broken and it was such a problem that everybody started pointing fingers. So I that was going to be a waste of time. That wasn't going to do Big Peach any good. So, you know, we had to solve it. We had to fix it. And I just said, you know, let's 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 get real about this. You guys, here's what really happened. We took way too much risk and we didn't even know we we're taking it. You know, we should have we should have run two simultaneous DCs for six months. And now I know that. No one told us that. Our team was confident, but I, I should have that was that would just that was a decision that would have sat with me. And I didn't see the risks. And and so yeah, we learned it, it's so painful. Um, and uh, because it was avoidable. But uh, I think one, one of the things, we have a great board of advisors with really smart people that have grown businesses. And, and one of the things we've learned is you grow a team and a business, the, the, the scaling isn't linear. It kind of goes up in step functions. It's just a whole different puzzle. And that was the case here. But thank you for reminding me of that, Mike. It, it's, <laughs> you know, I, it's in my rear view mirror. But yeah, we actually, we've learned a lot of single points of failure, you know. I try not try to avoid uh, that. And I think we've all seen that in supply chain now, too. You know, if you're if you can be agile and and have multiple options, you're going to be better off. And we had we had no options. We put all our eggs in it and it didn't work. Well, I'm going to ask you to speak to my understanding and what I learned from it. And it was, it was truly a helpful lesson for me and has had impact on me as we've made, I mean, everybody makes mistakes for those who think, well, it's not the right thing to disclose them. I think Jim is on record with his book as saying, that's not true. I would second that, that when you make mistakes, you have to step into them. We used to get letters from Dan, who's the Brooks COO and from Jim. These letters not only would give us an update, Jim, I literally could sense the heartfelt correspondence from you to me, from someone leading a business to a business owner, from your team to ours. 
it wasn't just the X's and the O's of trying to get the distribution center online. It was the apology that was so yeah. obvious hey, to be what, genuine. Like, it, so tell, that's what I was just saying. Tell me how you elect that approach. Because, you know, people have choices about trust. You guys were trusting us to service your business week to week to week. And we thought we could deliver on it, and, and we didn't. And so, you know, we're going to have to earn that back. Um, and it's true with our people too, you know, I think our team works so hard on it and, and that's why I, I had, I, I appropriately took responsibility for it because we need to reboot and go back to work and, and everybody's got to solve their piece and move forward. So teams are built on trust. Uh, it's in, and it's, you know, business relationships are built on trust and, and we're relying on each other. We're partnered. Um, our success is, is, is mutual or not. And we failed. And it's the same with runners, right? Runners are trusting us that the gear is gonna is gonna you know serve them well, mile after mile, and so that's where we start. I mean, we can't, we have to deliver on our promises. You know, word is bond. That's that's that goes right to that value of word is bond. And I think brands are built on trust, and businesses are, and in, certainly in running, you can't hide. I, that's the way we feel. If you know, we've had we've gotten so much better on the fit of a shoe. And some of your customers know their shoe and they buy the same one again and again and again. And if the fit changes dramatically, they're usually not happy. And so that's another area of trust that we have. So the, the effort we put into consistency of fit and for what the runner expects is the same. So I, that's where trust is just so foundational. The teams, the partnerships, obviously, and, and with customers. Wow. Awesome. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. And, you know, you already mentioned trust rightfully so multiple times. I know the phrase business is built or moves at the speed of trust. I would say also so does potential move at the speed of trust. And now for those who have not already picked up on this, Brooks still and very much so our number one brand. We've never sold more pairs of Brooks than what we did in 2020. 21. I believe Jim D2 would join me in believing that will be a record that only gets eclipsed in 2022 now. And obviously the best is, is yet to come. The Brooks Ghost that Jim mentioned earlier, way back in version three, as finally getting some traction, is our number one selling model of all time at Big Peach now, almost 18 years in. So my goodness, that was the right pr approach, in my opinion. And now you've got plenty of statistics to back that up. All right, Jim, one of the things I was given some advance notice with some other people in the industry that I'm not going to not dive into because I think it's part of why I'm so appreciative to you for being so willing to step into your own journey when you wrote this book. Chapter nine, hitting a wall, fighting cancer, instead of just going to, well, who is Jim Weber as a runner or as an athlete? I think this probably sets us up to learn a little bit more about that. But my goodness, if you're like, well, does Jim really get into who Jim is? Do you need a chapter title more than hitting a wall fighting cancer to validate the fact is, yes, he goes there. Jim, how is it going? And so give us a sense of that journey for you, not independent of Brooks, yep. but critically important to who you are as a person. Oh, absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad to share my story. Um, and, and, it, and I will I will relate it to Brooks because I think when you hit challenges like 2008 or our distribution yep. center in, in 2018, the way you work through them says a lot about your core values, your, your core essence of who you are. And there's nothing quite like a cancer diagnosis to just like bring everything down to the core and, and have you sort of assess where you are and, and, and how you navigate that kind of a challenge. So my story is in, in fall of 2017, I wasn't feeling great. And, and I had, I had a 10 K race at UW, the dog dash worst race I ever had. I just had, I was tired and fatigued. I felt sickly. I, I had to walk the Hills and I had this constant heartburn. So test, 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 test. Finally got a scope. I had esophageal cancer. I had a tumor at the junction of my esophagus and, uh, and, and stomach, and, and it's not a good cancer to have, but I had joined this, what I call the cancer club. And, and people that are in it, you know, once you, once you, you know, you talk about it, you find out how many people have been affected by it, have, have fought it, have a friend or a spouse or family member. So cancer is everywhere. I think we've all got experience with it through friends and family, but I got it. So 
really, really tough because, you know, this is a bad one. He said, well, you're going to need a surgeon. You're going to need a team. You're going to have to get this out of your body. And so, so that was the shock. Um, and, and the early days are tough. And I, you know, you get to know kind of yourself, right? And I, the truth is I was really grateful. I'd, I've had a great life. I've, I've, you know, I've been, I've just loved everything I have going in my life, my family, my kids, I have four grandkids, my job, my team. I just so enjoy, you know, I feel like I have the best job in the, in the industry. I do. And, uh, I, and, I would debate you on that, but I won't interrupt for too long. I would say know, that I would. Yeah. So your life passes before. And I, I, I sort of was at peace and, and, but when I saw my wife's face and I had three boys and, and they were, they were pretty shocked about it. I said, okay, I'm going to fight this thing. I had to fight this thing with everything I got because I want to be around for them and, and these grandkids, which are so fun, pure joy. But I think as I processed it, you know, I, I also decided, you know, I didn't want to live a day in fear. I just don't want to be absorbed by fear, absorbed by what I had to lose um, fearful about, you know, this might happen, this might, I, I just wanted to soak in the best of every day and, and appreciate, you know, everything I had that day all the way through the treatment and, and after, because I, I, I knew instinctively, I didn't want to kind of be that cancer person that, that that was going to be my definition. I'm Jim. I have cancer. I, I just, I want to get this thing out of my body and get on with my life. And, and I think that's, you know, that's just my wiring. And I, I talk a little bit about, you know, my own journey, but I'm just wired that way. I think attitude is a choice and it's hardwired in me because of what, how I, the kinds of personalities that I grew up with, but I think it's a choice. And, and I just don't like be having that bitterness and negative energy and fear extending with all the people that you interact with. Um, so, so I've just decided I was going to be positive and focused and, and I, I got to get a plan and I got one and I, I, you know, I worked as hard as I could to get through this. And here's the good news, Mike, five years is key, right? So the cancer I had, I always go to the web and check out, you know, the cancer and the treatment and the, you know, the survival rates are always there. Mine was 20% survival rate in year five, one in five chance that you're going to be here of all the stats. And my five year is this November, so I'm in the twenty percent man, and that's that's wow, obviously that's... awesome. I feel I feel super fortunate. It's been it's had a lot of impacts on on my health, but everything's mostly working. Um, and uh, you know I wouldn't recommend it. Try not to do it. Uh, try not to get cancer. It was it was not a fun journey, but I'm glad to be on the other side. That's awesome. And, and I do know it's, it has impacted and where I said, I would debate you. I've said on this podcast that I have the best job anywhere. So the fact that you would step into that voluntarily and challenge me unknowing that I've already said that we'll have to have that debate some other time. But so let's just hear about Jim as a runner. I know that former hockey player, even when I hear I've got family in, in Minnesota, you're originally from Minnesota. So no surprise that you're you know, fond of the rink. I hear when you say, you know, oh my gosh, you sound just like my relatives who are still in Minnesota. But then you became a, a runner. But the way that maybe so many of us did, it wasn't because we had this terrific run of accolades in middle and high school or that we ran collegiately. And yet here you are still serving runners. Take us through your journey as a runner. You know, I, I put everything I had into hockey, young kid, right? That's what was all around me in Minnesota. So I said, that looks cool. Everybody's paying attention. The state high school tournament in Minnesota is, I guess, like Texas football. 17,000 people, you know, televised statewide. It's, it was a big deal. And I, I ended up at a school that we went to the state tournament every year. And, and I wanted to play college and beyond and played a little bit of college. But I was clearly slower and, small, you know, I just didn't. I, anyway, it was time. And as soon as I quit playing competitive hockey, I had to fill it, right? I just... I'd been playing hockey six to seven days a week, almost for uh, 50 weeks a year, 45 summer hockey. Wow. And I couldn't just do nothing. So I started running. And, and this is 1980, you guys. I mean, the jogging boom started in the 70s. Bill Bowern's book, Jogging Right, it just, running was taking off. It was all around you. So I'm, I'm going you know, to run. 
and the Twin Cities Marathon in Minneapolis, St. Paul, its inaugural event was in 1982. And I thought, wow, a marathon. Why not? I'll sign up for it. I had no clue about, you know, <laughs> how to run a marathon, how to train, how to, you know, there was, and I probably read a couple of training guides, you know, get up, build up 20 miles and then you're good to go and taper. And so I got up to 20 miles. I felt great. So I ran the marathon um, and the first 20 miles were great. And the last six were pure agony. My body just fell apart. But man, I had the bug. I've run, I've run three to five days a week for 40 years. And, and it just became my thing all the way. I, I often talked about my life as I love my work. I love my family and my hobby, my hobby, my hobby, my hobby was running. And I went on to run a bunch of races, but I just, I literally ran because I needed to and I wanted to and I loved it. So uh, that was, I, I've been doing it for a long time. So when I got to Brooks, I was like, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> That's awesome. He is Jim Weber. Again, the book, Running With Purpose, How Brooks Outpaced Goliath Competitors to Lead the Pack. We're going to do something really special right now. I've already got my copy. I have read through it, obviously, multiple times for me and for this conversation. I have another copy here. What am I going to do with two of them? I'm going to give one away. So for those of you who have listened to this episode, Speed Matters, you're listening to it when we release it on Monday, here's what we need. Here's the email address you're going to want to jot down or commit to memory while you're getting in your own miles podcast at bigpeachrunningco.com. What year? What year was that number one selling shoe that we mentioned on this podcast released in version one? It's out there. You don't need to know that. You can do the research. We've mentioned what shoe that is. It is still the number one shoe at Big Peach. You figure out what that shoe is. You tell me what year version one came out. And you, if you're first, are going to get your own copy of Running with purpose. Obviously, he is Jim Weber. He is a friend of ours. He is a dear friend of this industry and obviously the lifestyle we all embrace. Jim, thanks so much for being part of this. Thanks for letting me join you guys tonight. This was really fun and uh, run happy, everybody. Get your miles in this week. Right on. Do just that. That run happy. Maybe I shouldn't even give you our tagline. We believe run happy for sure. We're going to wind this down. Of course, we'll be back in just a fortnight. Join us again on the 25th. Same bat channel. But in the meantime, as we always say, as we certainly mean, your best miles are just ahead. So long. Hey, y'all, if you enjoy our podcast, let us know. If you have topic suggestions, questions, or guests you'd like to hear on the Big Peach Ride and Run podcast, email us at podcast at bigpeachrunningco.com. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube.